Romance is much more than a date night out or a weekend away. A passionate, long-lasting love requires two people who are sensually in love with life and each other. In this fascinating book, the authors explore research on seven activities that prompt passion, then describe how Mediterranean cultures practice these secrets in everyday life. That's written about the Mediterranean Love Plan by Steve and Misty Arterburn, Seven Secrets to Lifelong Passion in Marriage. Why is that important and why did I read that first? Because Steve has a program on the radio he's been doing for almost 30 years. Almost 30 years, he tackles crisis in marriage and relationships. And if after all that time, he can write a book on how to spark passion and romance in your marriage, I think we all better pay attention. Rebels, this is going to be a great broadcast, a great program, and it's the book we're going to be tackling in July for the Rebel Upgrade. I just wanted to give you a glimpse into what we're going to be taking a deep dive into online. It is going to be so much fun. You can find out more at rebelupgrade.com. Without any further ado, here is myself, the Atomic Mom, Laura, and Stephen Arterburn on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Stephen, thank you for coming on the broadcast today. We so appreciate it. Honestly, I have to start this way. When your book came in the mail, it's called The Mediterranean Love Plan, and it was in a box, and there was pasta and a candle and some olive oil in it. Uh, My first thought was, really? I mean, it just, it seemed a little bit cheesy, and I thought, there's no way we're going to do an interview on this book. And I gave it to my producer, and that night she texted and said, this book is so awesome. And I called, and I was like, are, are you sure? Laura and I have been going through it. Steve, well, and as we, a woman, I'm like, this is perfect. Oh, we love this book. I'm, honestly, for our listeners, this is the most fun. It's, it talks about so many things that we believe on Rebel Parenting. So thank you for writing this book. Thank you for mm-hmm. doing this with your wife. And we love it. We're such huge fans. Well, thank you. You know, uh, I've been on programs and uh, I've had other books, but people will say that this is the book that they love the most. And I think if they're, you know, if you're married, uh, you have the tendency to kind of forget some things that could be fun and revive some romance or or just fun in your marriage. And so uh, we were really inspired by these cultures in the Mediterranean and uh, I hope that, you know, we can communicate to folks in a way that they'll see that this really is a great way to revive whatever might be dead or lacking in your marriage. Absolutely. You know, I really do want to start there. It was maybe four or five months ago, Laura and I were talking and I just said, you know, we stopped having fun in our family and we need to do that. And so she and I started really working on having fun as a family together with our kids. We do uh, Taco Tuesdays where we play games that night. We do movies on Friday. But honestly, we missed it just in our marriage. And this book rekindled that. We weren't having fun individually with each other. And this is so much fun. How did you key in on marriages in general seem to be lacking fun because we've been talking to our friends about this book and that's what we're finding. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. Um, first of all, um, 
I'm kind of I'm a teaching pastor at the church we go to here. It's called Northview uh, Church, and uh, it's the second fastest growing church in America right mm. now. Mm. And I'm known as uh, the sarcastic pastor. I'm the teaching pastor, <laughs> but I use a lot of humor, and we have a lot of humor in our home, and we, we so we have a lot of fun, and we. Uh, plan fun with our kids and with each other. My wife and I dance at mm. play the right music. We'll start dancing. We take risks. Um, and so we found that we were kind of the exception that other people, they just weren't free to do this or they didn't have the ideas. And as you can see, every chapter uh, ends with 13 ways to apply this. But when we were over in Spain, you know, this is the place where people have the largest uh, food fight in the world, where they're throwing tomatoes oh, yeah. at each other, and and they run with the bulls. They eat dinner at midnight. I mean, this is the culture of fun and excitement. And so we just took some things from that, uh, took our own experience, and combined them. And I think if, you know, people will do this, their their lives will be a lot more fun. You know, in, in the Christian world, we tend to be critical of movies, and sometimes movies can really um, add a little bit of fun to your life. Like Elf, you know, we probably watch Elf five times, uh, at least five times during the Christmas oh, sure. season, and and Groundhog Day, and Princess Bride, and and so if nobody can do anything creative, the the least they could do is grab the family and watch a movie that's mm -hmm. really funny or fun. We have a favorite comedian, um, and uh, Brian Regan, and oh, yeah. he's clean. He, he doesn't cuss. And our kids have a vocabulary based on some of his bits. Like when my, when my son ended up at the emergency room, you know, he looks up, and, and from one of Brian Regan's bits, he says, I'm laying on a gurney. And, he, you know, he's 10 years old. And... And so I just think fun is an attitude that leads literally to greater passion and romance because you just like each other better if mm -hmm. you just had something really fun and enjoyable and creative that you've done together. So Stephen? what about people that are stuck or just in a place where they're dry in their marriage? What, what, what kind of suggestions would you give to them? Because when you were talking and said you guys dance, you said we take risks. Is that an important part? Is that a key to getting unstuck if you're in that rut? Well, um, the research shows that if both of you do something together that you've never done before, and it's a little risky or challenging or outside your comfort zone for both of you, uh, it's going to draw you together. Now, an extreme example of that would be if you've never jumped out of an airplane before and both of you do that, well, you can see that you would be creating a memory of mutual vulnerability, fear, those kinds of things. That was our uh, honeymoon date. We did that on our honeymoon. Laura okay. got me that for my birthday on our honeymoon. We jumped out of an airplane together. I love that. That's right. Well, on what what we did, uh, we we went uh, scuba diving with sharks and talk about drawing each other together. Uh, you know, we were back to back looking for sharks, not to <laughs> attack. But 
but the the risk and the vulnerability uh, doing something that you've never done before it really does bring you together and and it creates a memory that you never forget but if somebody's stuck you know maybe you ought to ask okay why am I stuck uh, am I working so that we can have a great living or am I just living to work and if that's the case you've got to make some choices and you know being an adult is not being free to do everything it's limiting some things so that the really important things can emerge and here's the other thing that relates to uh, the bedroom and passion and that is that if you're playful uh, out in the world and and with the whole family and you kind of have this attitude then your sex life doesn't have to be this routine thing this uh, boring dull thing you can be more playful and you can enjoy it more without being weird or strange and it's just an attitude that carries over into the bedroom that it doesn't have to be so planned and predictable every time so mm-hmm. we're really big on laughter really big on games fun dance movies comedy put that into your marriage into your family life and it's going to impact the kind of feelings that you have for each other Stephen, you know I talk about Laura regularly and I say the reason I'm as successful as I am today, the reason I do all the things that I do is because Laura doesn't beat me up when I fail. And you talk about being playful and taking risks. I can imagine there's some couples out there going, are you kidding? I could never learn to dance in front of my spouse. She would make so much fun of me. Or is there a safety element to the playfulness that I can be vulnerable around you? I can take risks. I can do something awkward because I'm safe with you. Yeah, you know, uh, that is such a great point, Ryan. And uh, a lot of people know that the reason you're successful is because of Laura. (laughs) And uh, I'm glad you brought that up. But but here's here's the thing. Um, Criticism is something that you have to eliminate from your marriage. I mean, when we do our intimacy intensives at week, at, at the New Life, these weekends where people that are about to walk out the door mm-hmm. completely restore their marriage, when we do that, one of the things that we challenge them on is criticism. It's, it's so rampant in mm-hmm. these relationships that are dying. And so we say criticism is inappropriate and not called for, does no good, it destroys relationships. And then people say, well, what about constructive criticism? Yeah. Well, that's just criticism with a smile. That's all that is. <laughs> but Stephen, how can I fix my spouse? Come on. <laughs> Help. Yeah, totally. You know, I love um, it. Criticism you, with a smile. Mm. Yeah. You, you know, first of all, of course, we need to be working my side of the street. We need to be fixing yeah. ourselves. Mm-hmm. But let's just say uh, that there's something that the other person's doing uh, that is bothering us or we think it's harmful or whatever. Rather than criticize that person, uh, we, need to, we need to sit down at the right time and talk about different things and, you know, at the right time say, you know, here's something um, that I've tried to adapt to and, and I'm just really having a hard time with it and I want to hear how you feel about it and let's talk about it because I really think it, it might end up pushing us away from each other. And honey, I want us to be connected at all levels. So that's a, that's a conversation 
versus a quick, uh, critical comment that just shuts down uh, the relationship and shuts mm-hmm. down the other person. Yeah. Sure, sure. You know, I also wonder, too, if you're having a lot of fun with your spouse or your kids and you are being playful and you're taking risks and you're being vulnerable. You know, the scripture of how much love covers a multitude of sins really comes into play. All these little irritants, all these things that you just think about all the time and, oh, you you breathe with your mouth open when you sleep. I can't even sleep next to you. You're not having fun in your marriage. You're not playful with your spouse. And when you are, so many of those things just get shaved off. It's like sanding off the corners. Oh, it's really true. And, you know, if if Jesus can accept us as we are, then as Christians, our job, turn right around and not only accept the other person, but work toward greater, deeper, richer acceptance. And then... Uh, part of acceptance is adapting ourselves to the other person, trying to eliminate a few things that we know are not pleasant for the other person, and mm-hmm. then accommodating some things that, you know, maybe because of the way the person was raised or whatever, we accommodate those things. When you've got two people doing that, uh, you don't have a lot of criticism or opportunities for it, and you're just free. The goal is connection. The goal is mm-hmm. to have deeper, richer connections. So what brings us together, what draws us together, what tears us apart, and then how do we repair it? You know, that's a really important piece of all of this, too. And my wife and I both go to see counselors, mm-hmm. and on a regular basis, we will, our counselors will come together and work with us. We don't think we're ever done trying to find the ultimate connection, intimacy, marriage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're like anybody else. Some things can go sideways in our relationship. But I got to tell you, we've got wisdom, a third Mm -hmm. party, that that steps in. You know, we were uh, moving. We sold our home, and the home we were buying, the people didn't move out of. And so we couldn't buy that home. And so we were literally without, you know, a, a nest for my wife and a permanent place for about 45 days. And she got so upset Mm -hmm. with me. And she went to, you know, we go to the counselor every week and she went to her counselor and the counselor said, well, wait a second, let's just take him totally out of this. Act like you aren't even married to him. What would you be feeling? And, And she helped her see that this lack of a nest, this lack of a permanent place or her own place was absolutely a repeat of a very, very negative uh, uh, childhood that they hardly had anything to eat. They, she, sometimes she had to sleep on the floor to just have a place of her own. And so if we hadn't had that third party, <laughs> she'd probably still be mad at me. Yeah. But she sure, saw sure. that, you know, uh, I'm just the closest thing. And a lot of times, w- knowing that we're going to go to counseling, we can kind of let some things slide, knowing that we've got a third party that's going to bring us together. So in addition to all of this, we really believe in people getting counseling, especially if your marriage has died and you're stuck. You need a third party to help you come in and repair it. We believe that 100% here. We've had our counselors on the broadcast. They're coming back on the broadcast. We need a third party. Mm-hmm. And it, you're, you're so right. You can let some things go if you know there's someone out there, an impartial referee that's going to help you through those issues. You can go, you know what? Let's talk about it when we get to Tim and Ann or whoever it is that you're seeing. I'm so glad you admit that and you talk about mm-hmm. it and you share it. 
We believe if you get oil changes in your car and you're married, you should go to counseling. It's the same thing, that or preventative something. maintenance. Yeah. Read, your, read this book. Yeah. Read Do, this book. Go to a conference. Yeah. yeah. At least once a year well, if you it, want once a quarter. Yeah. Well, you know, just to further this point, one, one more way. You know, sometimes we can pray if, we're, if we've got counseling, you know, every once a month or every couple of weeks, whatever. Uh, you can say, God, um, I, I don't think it's going to go well. If I bring this up, I'm going to I'm going to ask you, Lord, to have someone else uh, bring this up to Mm -hmm. my spouse if it's really something that needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how often I will pray that prayer. And then a week or two later, the counselor has really dealt with that. and, And it really is helpful. So. If you if you haven't read the Mediterranean Love Plan, maybe a combination of the book, the ideas, and a little bit of counseling for repair uh, could you could end up in a totally different relationship than you have today. Yeah, yeah, and you can definitely hope for that. So, yep. Stephen, we've read uh, a lot on Dr. John Gottman, and he's a colleague of yours. So we were so thrilled when we found this in your book. Um, He's known for the quote-unquote love lab where he spent years researching what contributes to marriages that last a lifetime and those that don't. What are some of those indicators? I'm sure my parents have them. They'll have been married 57 years this year. They've got to have a lot of those indicators. But for those of us who are starting out or in the middle, what are some of the things we can look for? Well, one of the things that you know we share here is you know, probably the the worst thing that you can have is a um, as con- a contemptuous mm-hmm. attitude or contempt for the other person. I think you know when he's out there uh, evaluating folks. I think that's probably uh, the key when when he sees and senses this contempt. But um, I think you know, he calls one of the, that the one great... of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's one of the four <laughs> yeah, indicators that right. divorce is on its way. Can you yeah, give an example right. of and, that? Well, if um, let's just say that uh, I'm a man mm-hmm. and I think that I'm entitled uh, to be waited on hand and foot, mm-hmm. and I never change. I don't. I watched my mother wait on my father hand and foot. Mm-hmm. Now my wife. She's in a different generation. She doesn't do that. No matter what I say, she says, you do it yourself. You can end up not just upset that she's not doing what I want her to do. You can end up not wanting to be part of her life, despising her, thinking I've married the wrong person. You just, you know, you just continue to build on that one little resentment to where you don't even want to be around the person. And the same with the woman, if she's having that kind of demand made on her, and no matter how she says, how many times she says, honey, you know, it's a different day, it's a different age, and and you've got to let that go, and he doesn't, well, then she's got an opportunity to be contemptuous, and contempt pretty much leads to relationship destruction. You know, it isn't just an attitude. You start to do things that hurt the other person. So it's no wonder it's one of the horsemen. It's no wonder that it's such a major sign 
that divorce is is down the way. Versus, you know, one of the great things, which I guarantee you, your parents have it. I would imagine you guys have it. It is the desire to forgive. It is that mm-hmm. that desire that whenever I'm hurt, I may not be forgiving this moment. I may not understand, but within me is a desire for the sake of closeness and commitment and intimacy. I want to move back toward my wife or, or my husband. And so mm-hmm. you've got this desire. And to me, um, so many people uh, have so many different loves in their life, and they forget that they need to narrow their loving down to their spouse, their God, their family. And then whatever else they have a little time for, that can fall in place. But so often in this world of so many options, so many different choices, uh, the love and the commitment and the desire to build a connection, that's just an afterthought rather than the main goal in the relationship. Mm -hmm. You talked about um, your favorite ways to connect with your wife. I'm just really curious to hear from you. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, one of the things that um, is kind of embarrassing to some, uh, and I wouldn't suggest this for everybody, but this is something that we do every night that I am home, I'm not on a, uh, speaking somewhere, we spend that at least an hour together in the bathtub. <laughs> now, really? now talk about, talk about vulnerability. Yeah, talk about right. it's just us. But we have a very big bathtub. So <laughs> if you have a small bathtub, maybe not. And, but anyway, uh, not everybody uh, can do this. And certainly we weren't comfortable in the beginning, but this is part of our life. And so we are there eyeball to eyeball talking to each other. Nobody else is in that bathtub or in that bathroom. That's our little uh, mm-hmm. cone of connection, you could say. Mm-hmm. And I say to people that that just is absolutely not possible to do that in the bathtub together. I say, go find your cone of, not cone of silence, but the cone of, of connection someplace that it's where you guys go. And when you're there, you're 100% focused on each other, asking each other questions, trying to understand each other. And that will build the connection that leads to great intimacy. So the, you know, the thing that, that we do the best, I think, is schedule in time eyeball to eyeball with each other. And then, you know, there are just certain things uh, that she loves to hear me say. You know, uh, I will ask her to marry me. Would you marry me? Mm-hmm. When I'm just feeling so much love and, and joy with her. And she knows that what I'm saying in that little question is I'm saying, I could not be more pleased, could not be happier mm-hmm. to be married to you. It's worth all the struggle. It's worth all we've been through. Uh, and I am one very grateful man. So everybody needs to find those um, those little phrases that the other person loves to hear, and you need to say those all the time. And uh, and be sure because see, a lot of things we say can trigger negative things. Yeah. But there are also things that can trigger the positive. 
things. Totally. And, you know, when she says to me, uh, you know everything, well, she doesn't think I know everything. But that's her way of saying to me, you're a competent male, and I'm happy with your, that you know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff that I don't know. Now, the reason that means so uh, much to me is that, my, that she has a very high IQ, and she's very wise. She runs, facilitates recovery groups with some other people. And, uh, and so for her to say that I'm competent, that's not coming from uh, an average person. She's a brilliant person, and yeah. it's just an endorsement of me that I can't get enough of. So everybody needs to find those phrases and repeat them often. Well, you're talking about speaking each other's love language. You know, in the book you talk about that, you relate it to um, Monty Roberts, the horse whisperer, in speaking the right language to your spouse. Right. And, and a lot of times a person can be married literally 10 years and they've never had a conversation about their conversation. Yeah. And a marriage is, ne- and marriage is never stronger than when you're talking about the relationship. And a lot of people... It's weak because they never talk about the relationship. And so you really do need to sit down and every now and then talk about the way you talk to each other, uh, what habits maybe you've gotten into. And, uh, you know, one of the the habits that that I got into is I stopped uh, completing my sentences. I just assumed that, you know, we've been married long enough. She knows uh, what I'm talking about. And that was so disrespectful because it was sending her off into some kind of guessing game, you know. Mm-hmm. So I needed to hear, uh, hey, it's really more helpful when you just go ahead and finish <laughs> the complete thought there uh, rather than me filling the blank. So, you know, I wasn't offended by that. I was really glad that she told me it was something that I absolutely needed to hear. I knew I needed to hear it. And so we need to be willing to grow If we're not willing to grow, we're not going to be willing uh, to do what it takes to build Mm. connection. And boy, is connection ever the key word. And when it's broken, you know, the way you start getting it back is you tell the other person, I really miss you. Mm. I miss us. I, I us, I want us to talk about the way it used to be. And I, I want us to go back and redo some things and kind of reboot the relationship because I miss us. There's hardly anything you can criticize about that. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, Stephen, when you're talking to your spouse and you're saying, you know, I miss you, and in the book you talk about savoring food and cooking food slowly and the connection between savoring food and sex. You know, well-fed women want to have sex more than hungry women. You've got that in the book. what about the family that's listening that's like, are you kidding? I got three kids under the age of seven. They're constantly, you know, pulling on me and you want me to savor food with my spouse? How can we incorporate these things for the couple that's on a budget, just barely scraping by, but really does want to rekindle that romance? You know, maybe three kids came along and they're kind of stuck in a rut. and They're saying, we want this. We really want this bad. But how do we do that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, that's why we put in the book um, 10 great questions to ask your partner mm-hmm. at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. So let's just say all you've got is a piece of white bread and Campbell's soup. Mm-hmm. Well, rather than just 
gobble that down and get out and go watch television or get on the internet or whatever? What if you just said, hey, this is all we can afford, but let's be grateful for this. And let's, let's just enjoy each other and let's talk through this. Let's don't wait until we can afford better food for us to savor what we have. Let's be really grateful for what we do have and let's make the best of it. And so you start talking to each other and you, uh, well, here's a really cool thing. Um, when you start talking about a childhood memory, and especially for you, Ryan, you know, uh, a lot of times women, we do certain things as men, and we, we become little boys in their eyes. And they become mothers mm. or mothering mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. our eyes or even in their own eyes. They say, man, I feel like a mother to this little, little kid. Sure. Well, whenever you talk about, when you talk, Ryan, about a childhood memory, it's two adults talking about a child that used to exist a long time ago. So it puts you in an adult frame in the, in the mind of your wife. Also, uh, you know, she's looking at you and she's connecting with the little boy, but she's able to call out the man that's talking to her. And it's a very distinct uh, difference. And so that's one way to establish manhood, womanhood, that's much more attractive than when she sees you as a little boy, you see her as the critical, strong mother. Sure. Let me ask you if it's something like this. Um, We have to pick up after our kids. So I've got a 10-year-old son, and we pick up his clothes. We, Laura's picking up his clothes, things like that. There are also times where I'm leaving my clothes around. She's picking up my clothes, too. So she could classify me in the little boy that Lincoln is in that way. Yes, I should be picking up my own clothes, not leaving them around. And at the same time, she still needs to see me as an adult. Even though I may be exhibiting little boy behavior, she can call me out as an adult. And by talking about childhood memories, it helps foster that. Is that, am I getting what you're talking about? You're, yes, exactly. And the, you know, I, I think it is a rather common problem of uh, creating that mother son dynamic in marriages a lot of times mm. uh you know the other extreme that is when the male's the dictator and he expects yeah. her to be the doormat but this mother son thing uh is really important and so uh you you do need to identify some behaviors like not picking up your clothes that put you in that little boy place and her in the critical mother place and you just try to eliminate those as much as possible. And I got to tell you something, that little thing right there has brought more people back to the bedroom than you could imagine. They didn't know why they weren't. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just going to ask that because we find uh, sexual brokenness in marriages so often. And do you think one of those reasons is because spouses are looking at their husbands as a little kid? It's like, that's not attractive. I don't like that. Uh, That's right. And, uh, and so us guys, we need to do whatever we can. But a woman, here's the thing. I believe that the, the woman should nurture the little boy in a man while she calls out the man. But many times what can happen through criticism and disappointment, she can shut down the man and call out the little boy. Totally. Just the reverse of what yeah. needs to happen. And so, um, 
you know, whenever we can get a woman to pay attention to this, while at the same time the guy's trying to eliminate those boyish things, we can really build, uh, help a couple build respect for each other that may not be there. Yeah, I love what you're talking about. We see those commercials, not um, Lowe's or something, and you see the man in the background with the plunger on his head, and then the woman is up there, this sophisticated, she's going to fix her, her whole house. And I get so angry because they're, it's kind of like what you're talking about, putting them, the man as a boy. And we just, we don't put up with it with our friends. Like if someone's going to badmouth their husband or criticize them in front of us, we're like, no, go away. <laughs> Not acceptable. But I want to ask you a little bit about what you talked about, the ecstasy and connected to romantic joy in your book. I know that's kind of vague, but yeah. um, the research you've done on that, could you share with us and our listeners about that? Yeah, you know, um, interesting. Uh, we take all these seven cultures and, and we focus on uh, something that really stands out of that culture. And when we looked at the research, we wanted to find out, okay, so what are some of the keys to sexual fulfillment and uh, who is experiencing uh, the best in the bedroom? Yeah. And there were a couple of things that we found out. Uh, one, uh, there is an island in Greece called Icaria, and where they say that people just forget to die. Uh, they, you know, they, uh, over here, we walk an average about 45 miles a year. They walk about 240 miles. They're, they eat well. They eat the Mediterranean diet. They sleep well, and they exercise. And uh, the, the guys report greater sexual satisfaction uh, up into the 80s more often than anybody else. But, but then for women, the, the culture that we were so surprised at that experienced really the best in sexual fulfillment, we had to go to Israel, uh, which was kind of cool because, you know, here, you know, God is love and God through Jesus Christ walked the earth in Israel. And you find that Jewish men and Jewish women who are, uh, following some of the Jewish traditions are experiencing some of the greatest sexual satisfaction uh, and you could say ecstasy uh, in their sexuality. And, and when you go to Israel and you see these women in gray or dark clothes <laughs> that kind of look alike, you think, wow, so they're having the best time? Yeah. Well, they are. And, and it's because of the respect that the man has for her and her for him and that there tends to be a special time uh, that's set aside every week to be sure that nobody bothers them. It is a time of intimacy. Very early on, the kids learn this is time that mom and dad are with each other. And uh, in the book, we put these Jewish rules uh, for sex that I think would surprise a lot of people, but they're like the opposite of the rules here in the Western culture. Like they say things like a man may not withhold sex from his wife. Uh, they say a wife is entitled uh, to be sexually fulfilled. Sex may never be used to punish or manipulate her. And, um, and a man is obligated to watch for signs that his wife is wanting intimacy and, and passionate connection. And so it's just so great that in this culture, this biblically-based culture, 
where women are deeply respected as well as men, you find the greatest amount of sexual fulfillment. Now, when you think about it, um, if a person is an Orthodox Jew, they're living by a lot of rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. And here in the bedroom, maybe is the most free uh, place, the most fun place uh, that, that they have. And so that's the place that is the most fun, the most enjoyable in their marriage for both people. And I just think there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from that Jewish culture. We put as many in here as we possibly could. Oh, it's awesome. I can hear Amazon carts getting filled up right now with this book being bought. <laughs> Uh, but it really does lead me into so. the into the question I wanted to close with. And you you talk about it. I actually wrote the page number down. It's on 165. But you talk about how that a good sex life between a husband and wife sends ripples throughout every other area of their life. If you're having a great sex life, every other part of your life is getting better. Oh, there's no question. And, you know, um, as I share in the book, all of this, uh, understanding about sexual intimacy came uh, after our honeymoon where I had told her we didn't have sex before we got married and I told her how great it was going to be once we did and it wasn't great at all it was a disaster and she one day finds on the internet she says hey look at this there's a couple that tells people how to have sex that don't know how to do it it's a physician couple we can go to and I, and I go okay well let's do it and, uh, and I was willing because I just had never been taught sure. about sexual intimacy and how to do that as a man. And we went, and, and it changed everything for us, and the ripple effect began to happen versus the negative ripple effect. Mm -hmm. You know, we were destined, if we hadn't done that, to be one of these married and miserable people that need help. Yeah. So uh, if you're willing to take a look at what you're doing, willing to improve, uh, I think that the sexual intimacy will grow, and I think the sexual intimacy will also grow the other parts of your relationship. Thank you so much for sharing with us. We're, we're blessed by you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. We love well, this thank book, you. The Mediterranean Love Plan, Seven Secrets to Lifelong Passion in Marriage. Thank you, guys, and uh, hope to see you down the road real soon. Rebels, I hope you enjoyed that program. I had so much fun doing it. It's going to be even more fun next month during the upgrade when I'll be cooking a bunch of those recipes, showing you photos, taking your questions, and then Steve Otterburn is going to come on and answer all of your questions. We're going to talk about romance and marriage and rekindling passion, and it is going to be a blast. For more information, go to rebelupgrade.com, and we'll see you next week.